Hello everyone. I'm Madhura Gaikwad and you are listening to Zip Radio podcasts powered by Synergy. In this episode, we are discussing a case study on over-engineering and course correction. Joining us today are Vinayak Zogrekar, CTO and co-founder at Synergip, along with Rajesh Sharma, project manager and Parvez Khan, software engineer at Synergip. So let's start with the session. Welcome on board, guys. Thank you, Madhura, for your introduction. Today's topic is hype, over-engineering and course correction. Whenever a new technology starts with a lot of hype, everyone is aware of the Gartner hype cycle. And currently, if you see, that is true about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and of late about deep learning and TensorFlow. So there is a lot of hype and everybody wants to utilize these new tools that are available, which have kind of democratized deep learning. And everyone is eager to use them and to get results from those tools. While it's very good that we can now solve problems which were hard or which used to cost a lot on your own laptop in a very low cost manner. There are some times when engineers tend to over engineer by applying these solutions to problems that really don't need these solutions. So today we are going to talk about one case study that where we as engineers kind of felt that the problem that we had could be solved by deep learning. Whereas it actually did require deep learning and deep learning was a kind of an over-engineered solution. The other reason why you have over-engineering happening is because new technologies are always sought after by investors. And engineers feel that they would be able to attract investment by using new technologies because investors feel that if it's a product that is using the latest technologies, it would be worth investing in. So that is the reason today we are not going to go into the details of why over-engineering happened, but we are going to dwell more and delve more into why and how we dealt uh, with the problem of over-engineering. We'll describe where the over-engineering was. And then uh, finally, we will resolve this problem in today's uh, discussion and podcast. My first question to you, Rajesh, as the manager of this project, is that can you just describe what was the problem that we were trying to solve and a little bit about uh, the product that we were trying to build? Okay. This customer that we had, they are in metal domain. They help the sellers to sell their inventory easily. The inventory can be stored in their application. The seller users, they can search on this inventory quickly and send quotes and also orders to this application. So they had two use cases. One is for uh, loading the inventory from various suppliers. And this inventory would be in different formats. And the other is the customers of these suppliers uh, send RFQs and they are also in variety of formats. So they wanted something wherein the problem that they had, you know, under writing various ETL algorithms for different sellers. So solving that problem was there and the other was, uh, you know, understanding the RFQs. So currently how it would happen is the seller users would have to understand then they would have to feed that in their system and get the results. There was human error plus it would take a lot of time. The thought was that you know the machine should be able to understand variety of formats which the customers uh, use to send their RFQs. So with that thought in mind, we thought of using machine learning to solve this problem. Yeah, so uh, thanks for the overall overview of uh, the project that we were or the problem that we were trying to solve. 
so for the benefit of our listeners what we are having here is customer who is having inventory and that inventory is created by feeding data into that inventory by process called as etl which is extraction transformation and loading and once that inventory is available there should be a way of selling this inventory by responding to request for quotation so for the benefit of our listeners rhq is request for quotation if there is a buyer who requests for quotation meaning availability as well as price of a particular item in the inventory then such rfqs would also need to be fed into the system and the problem that we have is that the language that is used for storing the inventory and feeding the rfqs is not exactly like code number or an id or a part number using which you would be able to match these two it is in some sort of plain english that the inventory is being represented and it's in plain english that the rfqs are being fed and then the machine has to understand what item are we talking about based on what is being said in colloquial english is that the correct definition of the problem yes so rajesh can you give me some examples of what is in the inventory so can you tell me some typical items that go into the inventory and also what are the units of measure or how do you keep track of how much of the inventory is in okay since uh, this is in metal domain we have different metals that are used in industry so like sheet pipes angles plates all these different types of metals so there are generally around uh, 20 to 30 shapes that are there for different types of sellers and uh, the different units that are used are like feet square feet pounds tons inches to store how much inventory they have parvez can you tell a little bit about what are the different metals are we talking about mainly we have aluminium stainless steel brass copper these kinds of metal we have in our inventory and related to those metals means metal is an one of the attribute of an rfq for example rfq looks like a customer will say i need two plates of so and so dimension and uh, metal would be aluminium and so and so grade like grade would be a36 or or whatever they want so this is what the sample rfq that customer is request for okay so you mentioned dimensions so and so yeah. can you just expand dimensions so and so for a sheet what it would look like sure sure let's take example of sheet plate the customer will say two sheets of 1 by 2 into 48 into 96 in that so 1 by 2 is the thickness 48 is the width and 96 is the length right mm-hmm. and then he will, he or she will say aluminum and a36 so aluminum is metal for that particular rfq and a36 is the grade for that rfq okay so you have talked about dimensions as 1 by 2 yeah. into 46 into 96 and how do you know i mean uh, so the obviously what uh, one can make out is the smallest dimension would be the thickness the next one would be the width the next one would be the length but there are other shapes like pipes right in which there could be inner diameter outer diameter or thickness or length so how do you know as to what are the dimensions that one should be having to describe the shape is there a way you can feed to the computer 
what are the different dimensions required how does one know that all the dimensions needed are present or not present in the rfq the first thing that we are doing when we get the rfq is the extraction part mm-hmm. that is the entity extraction uh, we extract the entities from the rfq like shape dimension as a whole one entity then again metal grade and condition like condition would be hot roll cold roll like that once we get that entity as a dimension then we looked that particular entity according to the shape so we have a template for each shape like sheet plate required three dimension and flat bar required three dimension round bar required two dimension like that once we get the dimension entity we will split that entity into chunks and then we assign each and every sub chunk to the particular dimension like thickness width and length as you said thickness always will lesser than the width and the length and width will be always greater than thickness but will be lesser than the length so like that gotcha so you have a template for yeah. every shape and then you match the template with the available dimensions to assign meaning to each one of the dimensions which makes sense and then you also say that there are entities inside the rfq which grade also would be there as well as there would be something like a process whether it is hot rolled or cold rolled which is the conditioning process that you have in addition to which metal it is what dimensions it has and what shape it is all these details are contained in a very crisp short one line or even half a line or few characters there and then you have to make suitable assumptions one of them is that we've been all, all the time talking about length width and thickness in inches how do you know that it's not millimeters and what are the other units of measuring thickness customer explicitly mentioned the unit of measure mm-hmm. like single quote for feet double quote for inches mm-hmm. or sometimes uh, there is a huge variation in the um that is unit of measure that for quantity or for dimension so uh, like for dimension uh, sometimes they use only ft sometimes they use only full feet sometimes they just write 20 and length so these kinds of uh, um we get same for the quantity we get sometimes pieces sometimes we get just qty and 2 that means quantity 2 sometimes we get 2 feet so that is for 2 feet of quantity mm-hmm. so like that as well as for quantity we have some other variations as well like ea which denotes each sometimes user explicitly written each so like that and also you have thickness measured in gauges so there is like 12 gauge or 5 gauge or things like that right exactly right so so there is lot of disambiguation that one needs to do because the same thing is being said differently some sometimes you say pcs sometimes you just write pcs sometimes it is qty and sometimes it is just lengths and you have various ways of seeing the same thing which is what listeners should make note of that we have a problem where we are trying to convert colloquial english into something that is meaningful to the computer now you know there's one aspect that we need to take care of is understanding the rfq then translating it for the purpose of matching it with the inventory but rajesh does it always happen that you find an exact match in the inventory or you know sometimes you have to do some kind of conversion for example the length could be in one unit of measure and then the inventory could be in another unit of measure so you know there may be some calculation involved or there is 12 gauge may not be exactly 3 mm it might be 2.6 mm but that is the closest available so you might want 
is there a need that we will have to give the exact match or the search algorithm that we are trying to search in the inventory should also be able to find nearest or the closest in terms of whether it's dimensions or metals or grades or whatever obviously mm-hmm. there is mismatch most of the times for example length we are talking about length so in our inventory we always store length in inches whatever may be the um in which the supplier is sending to us and the rfqs they might be in inches or feet but for that we have general rules to at least understand you know what the customer is asking for for example if it's a small figure like 10 then it is understood that and if no um is given it is understood that it is feet and not inches and what is small that could sometimes be you know debatable what is small you know we had some back and forth with the product owner and we came with some figures and obviously it was understood that we may have to revise our understanding based on how users use it and as we gain more knowledge but obviously we also discussed about you know the fact that there won't be exact matches always available that was also a requirement that you know when there is no exact match available we have to give whatever is a nearby match in some cases uh, like we were talking about length for example the customer wants pipe that is of length 24 feet and uh, you know we have pipe pipes that are all of 30 feet so there's a possibility of cutting the pipe and giving to customers we have to consider all these scenarios where we don't have exact match but still we could serve the customer how do you measure how close the match is and, and you know before we go even to find out how do you even know that you're talking about the same item or same shape because what i have seen and i actually had the opportunity to work in a similar domain wherein like a gasket is a seal is a o-ring is a rubber seal or whatever uh, you know there are 23 different names for the same item right. right so when they have an item such as flag i can imagine that uh, there would be various ways in which uh, users would write somebody would call it a flag sheet or somebody would just call it a flt or somebody would just call it a flat bar or someone else might i mean how do you know that all these different names are pointing to the same item yes so that was one of the problems which we were trying to solve and uh, you know we could have used different approaches but the basic underlying principle was that we would start with something that we know of and as our knowledge grows we would need to add those different synonyms so that we could identify correctly so this is typical name identity recognition problem number 1 i can see number 2 i also see some kind of suitability score or recommendation engine kind of problem right i mean so we already talking about machine learning right yeah. because uh, we have uh, natural language processing in name identity recognition and we have a recommendation engine where if you don't have an exact match and you have several attributes you don't know how much weightage to give to each attribute there should be some magic number by which you can multiply each attribute score of suitability and get overall suitability so it could be that grade is twice as important as the dimension or whatever and based on that you could get a suitability score and based on that you could find the closest match is that what was the problem which drove you so what was the solution so let's talk about what drove you to machine learning and artificial intelligence as the probable solution and finally where did deep learning figure into all this i think 
Pavish would be able to yeah yeah sure so we started the journey uh, to solve this problem statement first time when we got the problem statement we understood it correctly and then we did some literature survey we went through some white papers research papers on atripali and some other sites and then we get to know that we can frame this problem statement as the name entity recognition problem statement using a natural language processing and some machine learning algorithm maybe crf or some other algorithm this is understood that we can frame this problem statement as a ner problem statement so what are the possible options or what are the possible algorithms and libraries that we have that we can use to get the reliable results so at that time stanford is very popular library and it's now also we we approach for stanford nlp is that to be approach for stanford ner so we converted our dataset into stanford compatible format and we trained the stanford ner model on that stanford is performing quite good it's performing well results for some rfqs is just performing so and so but overall uh, the accuracy and the evaluation is went well and uh, we are satisfied with that but the issue that we faced with stanford is the licensing issue they don't provide these apis and these services as open source uh, licensing is the one major issue and the second most important issue and the problem that we faced there that is the retraining this is one of the second most important goal to achieve that is retraining that means it's fine we train a model which is doing some magic which detecting the entities but what if that model is detecting something wrong how can we correct that model so that is the one of the second most important challenge that we are facing that term we call as a retraining and stanford doesn't provide that facility to retrain a model or to feed something new to the existing model so these two major problem that we face with stanford and that making us think about to some other options so what are the some other options that we have so let me stop you there so the retraining as i understand was required because you would come across certain terms that are not recognized by stanford obviously uh, if it is in the dictionaries such as a flat or a sheet it would recognize those but if it just flt or sht those things may not be recognized as flat or sheet without the domain of the background yeah that would mean that i need to add a rule that says that sht is in fact sheet and flt is in fact flat yeah so there was no way to retrain this stanford library to admit these new words into the library so to say is that correct statement of what the problem was yes true okay i think the problem was that we wanted retraining to happen immediately you know mm-hmm. suppose a seller uses put something it is not recognized by our application so the seller corrects it seller mm-hmm. provides the information uh, this particular token means this this particular token means this the requirement was that after doing this the seller should immediately get the results for next uh, rfq if it was the same word or the same token and that was not possible using stand code because obviously retraining could be done but it had to be done offline and the process would take some time yeah i mean that i would true. need to tell that shp is a shape and then it would learn over a few iterations after i tell that it is a shape a few examples in the training set then it would learn is that what you are saying yeah exactly and mm. the expectation is it should get retrained in a fraction of second Yeah. If I corrected uh, the RFQ and I, when I click on the retrain button, so some magic should happen and it should get retrained. So from next second onwards, it should detect that particular RFQ that we corrected. So it should detect that correctly. Yeah, I mean, if I am telling that SHT is sheet, isn't that enough information for it to know in the next step that SHT is sheet? 
yeah exactly but it requires some amount of data it requires some amount of uh, wealthy amount of experiment uh, some wealthy amount of record to recognize a pattern especially that crf model or the name entity recognition model it should see some observation that saying that sst is a shape so that's why it required few more iteration and time and which is where we are lacking and that's not meeting the expectation okay why are we needing to train this algorithm or stanford algorithm for doing the obvious right if i know that sht is a shape and it is in fact sheet and if why do i need to give data to it to prove that sht is a sheet and enough data to be what is the nature of so can you just explain uh, why this was required i mean uh, i understand that it was required right and it doesn't make sense to me but then all right it was required but then what does it do with it i mean if it is required we'll give it but then what does it do with that yeah totally agree so as i said we are following the machine learning approach the overall conclusion is we are training a bare machine mm-hmm. to do some magic so we are trying to put uh, intelligence into the bare machine right so like if we say a five year child he boy this is a balloon right this is a red color balloon mm-hmm. so we have to tell him or her mm-hmm. twice thrice or 10 times or 12 times just to recognize him the pattern behind uh, that oh this is the red balloon right so the same with the machine so we have to tell machine twice thrice or 10 times until it should recognize the pattern behind that mm-hmm. it should not be overfitted but it should recognize the actual pattern behind that mm-hmm. so that's why we required the enough amount of data mm-hmm. to recognize that particular entity that is sst as a shape in fact if we had used the machine like a machine instead of using a machine like a human we would have done it very quickly right i mean if you tell a machine that sht is a shape it will never forget it but if you have to teach a human then you have to tell it a several a few times before that circuit gets burnt into a human brain and then the human starts recognizing the pattern what it sees with its eyes as red balloon as you rightly said i think this is this point where someone would have stopped and hey wait a minute i mean what are we doing here and do we even have enough data so if you just come across sht as a one off or there aren't enough cases like that then what do you do i mean how do you train the algorithm if there isn't enough data to train i understand that training data is required but what if it doesn't exist and what if we don't have it so what do we do in that case actually in case of stanford especially mm-hmm. uh, i'm talking in the context of stanford whatever observation we have so that we are using for training mm-hmm. so right and then in the evaluation phase mm-hmm. we are evaluating the model that how good it is mm-hmm. on the seen data as well as on the unseen data mm-hmm. on the acronyms as well it's like the same thing if it is not recognizing sst as a shape that means somewhere lacking the pattern mm-hmm. it's somewhere not able to recognize the pattern behind that how sst is a shape the ultimate answer is for your question ki how we are filling that gap or filling that breach is so we are increasing the iterations mm-hmm. like if i train a model for five iterations five batches so i am increasing those uh, number of batches and the iteration up to six or seven so that up to some extent not till the model should be get overfitted but up to still we are increasing it, it to some extent that it should recognize sst as, as a shape by iterations you mean you repeatedly train the model using the same data exactly so let's say you repetitively train the model using sht equal to shape 
till it starts recognizing SHP equal to shape. Yeah, but uh, one more important thing that I should get highlight here. We are not training the model until it should recognize each and everything. Mm -hmm. That means we are overfitting the model. Mm -hmm. But we are training the model up to some extent that it should recognize all the behind patterns. Mm -hmm. So obviously the accuracy is not till 100%, but mm -hmm. it should be around 80 to 85%. Mm -hmm. So something will be get lagged, but something will be get detected very correctly and uh, the model is generalized enough. Right. So what I understand is that there are some patterns which are more common and those patterns it should recognize but there are some uncommon patterns so those uncommon patterns if you try to recognize you'll be ending up overfitting exactly and you know when you overfit with your training set you're likely to go wrong with your test or validation sets exactly. right yeah so you didn't want to overfit so that is why you didn't do too many iterations till it recognized everything yeah but at least those which are more common yeah. that it would start recognizing and how long would such a set of iterations take? I mean, because your problem was you needed to recognize this immediately, instantaneously as soon as you fed the data. But whereas this training would take some finite amount of time, right? So how long was it taking? Actually, at that time, approximately it taking around 15 to 16 minutes to mm -hmm. train the model for all the iterations. Not for the retraining, mm -hmm. for the training the model from the scratch. Mm -hmm. Because the retraining is not possible in the Stanford, mm -hmm. as well as more specifically, quick retraining is not possible there. Mm -hmm. So we didn't approach for retraining in Stanford, but obviously we train model and it required 15 to 60 minutes on the overall data set. So what did you do? Because retraining was the requirement, because you would come across new patterns, right? And then you would need to retrain. Yeah. So if Stanford was not working, what did you use? So we are looking for some other options which are more reliable mm -hmm. and uh, which will fulfill our requirement mm -hmm. with very good results. Then we have SPACI in our hand, mm -hmm. we have TensorFlow in our hand, especially NeuroNER. MITI is again one of the options which is using SPM backend side. We followed two approaches, we both the guys and I was working on SPACI and he was working on TensorFlow. So there are two of you? Yeah. So one was working on TensorFlow yeah. and you were working on? SPACI. Spacey. Yeah. Yeah. What is Spacey? Spacey is again one of the library that we used, which is designed to fulfill the various tasks of NLP, mm -hmm. like from post tagging to language modeling, again, named entity recognition and so on. Mm -hmm. So that library provides all these facilities. We have chosen the facility that is provided by Spacey and especially I was working on that. Mm -hmm. And my colleague is working on the TensorFlow part. TensorFlow in here. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, obviously it was taking sometime right even for retraining even after you gave up on stanford and you continued using either of these two so how long was it taking for retraining it there must be some finite amount of time it was taking right so what was the kind of actually uh, uh, in spacey training is happening quickly the data set that we have into spacey compatible format mm -hmm. we train the model then we evaluated it so mm -hmm. it was performing good quite good uh, it was providing the facility of retraining Mm -hmm. And the retraining is also happening very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the most important uh, and the most interesting problem that we faced with uh, SPACI is that catastrophic entropy. So when I retrain a model, mm -hmm. because SPACI uses a neural network at the backend, mm -hmm. and especially it uses a recurrent neural network, so which is adjusting the weights of all the neurons and the biases. So we are talking about that problem, catastrophic entropy. So when we retrain a model, it is forgetting the previous learning. 
So if I train it for four shifts and if I retrain it for fifth shift, so it's forgetting two three shifts that we trained previously. Mm -hmm. So that is the major problem that we are facing with AC. Mm -hmm. So somehow we overcome that problem statement mm -hmm. and till the time the uh, TensorFlow model is also ready. Mm -hmm. So we compared the both, which mm -hmm. is performing well in mm -hmm. terms of accuracy, in terms of confusion matrix mm -hmm. and uh, reliability and various factors. So obviously TensorFlow is performing greater than the SPACI result. Okay, so you got better performance from TensorFlow. So define better means how long was it taking? Especially that problem that we are facing, catastrophic entropy. That is the very risky problem. We get rid of that in TensorFlow, one plus point that we have. In terms of accuracy on the unseen data, TensorFlow is again having the better accuracy. Like so what was the percentage accuracy? actually on SPACI we got up to 66 to 68 percent and that too on TensorFlow we got up above 75 or above 78 I'm not remembering mm -hmm. the exact figure but above 75 or 78 which can be scalable which mm -hmm. we can increase in TensorFlow once the model is trained enough and it is get retrained day by day it is smarter enough right obviously the accuracy will be get more and more yeah that but then uh, it would take some finite amount of cycles yeah one more important comparison between SPACI and the TensorFlow is that SPACI get retrained quickly but TensorFlow doesn't. Mm -hmm. TensorFlow doesn't provide the facility of retraining quickly mm -hmm. because it's adjusting the weights of each and every neuron mm -hmm. and so all the backend activities which are very complex and which are very resource consuming as well. Can so, you define quick and not quick in seconds or milliseconds or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean quick, it's like a fraction of second. And not quick, it's like it taking an hour and a half an hour like that. Oh my god, so yeah. TensorFlow was much slower than SPACI. Yeah, in terms of retraining. So what we did is, we have to achieve the goal of retraining anyhow. Then we frame a solution to retraining in TensorFlow. That is, we can retrain a, ten a TensorFlow model in batch. We'll collect the data for 30 minutes. We'll retrain the model after every 30 minute cycle. So that's what we call as batch retraining. Yeah, so 30 minutes and all like unacceptable and that is where the customer that we had was not finding this solution good enough right yeah kind of and that's when we decided to use rule based and we decided to resolve this problem of using tensorflow or neural networks which was kind of a hyped up solution and over engineered solution so we did a course correction at this point then we decided that we will use the gate library which has an ontology and a gazetteer, which is basically a rule-based way of saying that you feed a rule which says SHT is equal to sheet. And then from the next minute or next moment onwards, even the next millisecond or microsecond onwards, SHT is a sheet. You don't have to do any kind of training because all we are doing is we are creating a rule and we are basing our named entity recognition on rules. So that is what we did. But how did that solve the problem i mean we still had ambiguities in two areas one ambiguity was in the area where we didn't have the same term being used to address the same entity so there will be multiple ways of addressing the same entity so how did you solve this ambiguity yeah as you said that we are maintaining an ontology for the standard things mm. especially the entities in the rf so what we did is we have created one instance one standard instance like for sheet plate the standard name is sheet or sheet slash plate so that is the standard name and sht plt sheet or sometimes shts these are the acronyms that we are referring to the same entity we added those acronyms as a label to that particular instance in the 
ontology. So that's how we normalize them to one extent and we overcome that problem. Right. This is easy to solve this ambiguity as you come across by using what we can call as a brute force because you're just telling it what it is and then it will just follow. But what about ambiguities, Rajesh, which we had, uh, wherein what you want in terms of the dimension or the grade may not be available, right? right. So, in which case, how do you resolve that ambiguity? I don't think natural language processing has any solution to that, right? I mean, the gate library may not be able to help you. You have to say that when you are asking, when the client is asking for length of 12 feet and you have 13 feet in stock, it's okay to, because it's not 100% match, but it's X percent match because the customer can always shear off the additional length and use the remaining length. So these RFQs, uh, they can be divided into various tokens and uh, you know for most of these tokens we have classes and we created ontologies for them for example condition. What is a class? Yeah, these tokens that are there take for example grade. So there would be only finite number of ways in which we can define so a grade. various classes meaning grade is a class. Grade is one of the classes. Right. And then condition, classification and shape. Mm -hmm. So we identified them as classes because there are finite ways of calling them out. What could they be? And we created ontologies for them. And obviously the thing that was remaining was quantity and dimension. So for identifying what all tokens are either quantity or dimensions mm -hmm. and then you know going still deeper and identifying what dimension is what we had to write rules. So we use shape engine rules uh, based on shape format to identify this uh, tokens. For the benefit of our listeners, shape is a way of writing transducers. So what we did was in the shape transducer, we will say that a mismatch in one of the classes is how important or unimportant or relevant or irrelevant it is would be decided by some kind of arithmetic weightage. And then based on that, uh, we will have a rule which gives it some kind of uh, suitability score and based on the suitability score we will recommend or not recommend a particular item in response to something that is not exactly matching but it is almost matching so is that the correct description of how we resolve the issue of disambiguating where we had inexact matches in terms of grade or dimensions or of course shape mismatch cannot be tolerated right right it could be there are only certain classes where a difference could be tolerated so what are the classes where such difference was tolerated grades hmm. obviously and then classification condition here it would be okay to not be able to find out which token was what okay you give some kind of suitability if it is not 100% it could be 80% how did you determine whether it should be 80% or 100% or 70% or what on what basis was it decided that is uh, depending upon the business need for example if the length is not matching but if we have items that are greater in length than what is required then obviously still it's a pretty good match because mm -hmm. it's very easy to cut and provide that is how the business works correct but somebody is asking even if it is half a millimeter shorter that one Right, yeah. but if it is one inch longer, it is still good. Yes. Right. And obviously, if it is twice the size of what is required, it is very still good. a very good match. It is almost as if we have matched exactly because right. we can cut it into half and sell both of the results. So that is how it is. And based on business needs, 
we decided how what weightage needs to be given to various classes wonderful so that is how we resolved the disambiguation part of not having exact matches either in terms of its uh, the way we have described it in english or by giving labels uh, or having some kind of rules for disambiguating when the dimensions are not exactly matching yeah so finally can we describe to conclude today's discussion what was the outcome and what is the current state in which this project is or is it still being worked upon or is it something that we have successfully handed over okay uh, if we start from the beginning uh, the initially we had the problem statement and uh, as you rightly pointed out there was a hype we felt that we should use machine learning and deep learning and we tried to solve this problem and we were able to solve it pretty much okay but we faced certain roadblocks like we wanted something that was not recognized by our algorithms to be recognized immediately afterwards there should be some way to tell the algorithm that this is this but this is the place we were facing challenges so then obviously we understood that we had over engineered and we came back and thought about using ontology and rule based techniques to solve this problem and when we did this we were able to solve the basic problem of retraining very nicely because since we just want to add various ways to say certain thing in ontology that could be done immediately and that could identify as you rightly pointed out from the next time so that was one of the big problems that was solved and uh, we have uh, developed uh, the application using this new approach and it is working fine and we have decided to go with this new approach wherein we are using ontology based and rule based techniques to solve okay. our problem okay thanks so one last question you mentioned that tensorflow had better 76% accuracy right and which means that 76% of the times it would tell an item or it should disambiguate a, an entity correctly Uh, but 24% of the times it would go wrong yeah so but that 24% we can minimize using deep learning right so mm-hmm. at first go uh, the accuracy 76 mm-hmm. so after two or three days and mm-hmm. we retrain the model so the accuracy will increase up to 78 or 80% yeah so 24% of 24% of 34% that is how the error rate would go down <laughs> yeah. right yeah but then you had to keep retraining it for that yeah and that would take time Uh, as against that what was the percentage accuracy with the rule based model with git natural language processing library actually with git the results are very surprisingly whatever rules we have written whatever we have added to the ontology so 110% that is detecting correctly if we add something new to the ontology which we call as in machine learning as a retraining right so that is getting detected from the next uh, second onwards there is no big deal no huge resource says we required there is no big complexities neural networks and risk is very minimized yeah when you say sht is equal to sheet once it is 100% of the time 110% <laughs> yeah so that's how you know we finally did our course correction and had a happy customer in the end you know it is always good to learn from our experience so i thought that we should share this experience where we got excited about neural networks and deep learning and natural language processing and then finally we realized that even a simpler 
thing can be a better solution and more elegant than something that is more complex so that was a big learning for us in this and we thought that it good to share it with our listeners so thank you very much rajesh and parvez and thanks modura for giving us this opportunity to for being on the podcast thanks vinayak and thank you rajesh and parvez for joining us and sharing your learnings with our listeners thank you everyone for joining this episode if you are looking to accelerate your product roadmap visit our website www.synergip.com for more information stay tuned to future zip radio episodes for more insights on technology and agile trends thank you